Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Amanda, welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. Hey, Bola. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I am really excited to learn more about this very, very interesting arm of real estate investing, and that is investing in mobile home parks and lots, and you have over 80 lots. So I can't wait to hear more. But before we dive in, tell us who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So my name is Amanda Cruz. I'm a wife, a mother of a four-year-old and a one-year-old, a data analyst by trade, and a mobile home park investor as well. And I'm located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Awesome. And Getting into mobile park homes, this was not your first foray into business, right? You have tried other things and you did share that you had started a first business that didn't quite work out. What was that business about? Yeah. So that business was a gender reveal <laughs> business. So, you know, several years ago. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> I thought so at the time. <laughs> It, like several years ago, I was loving my W two job, right? I think like probably a lot of people. I, I really enjoyed it. I was an analyst. I was climbing the ladder at a big credit card company, and it occurred to me one day, the person who had the job two promotions ahead of me, I didn't want that job. He couldn't go on vacation without being tethered to his phone, and I really just that was the first time I thought, hey. Maybe there's something different for me. Maybe I want to do my own thing. Like I didn't grow up knowing people who owned their own businesses. My mom retired from the North Carolina public school system, right? So, you know, fast forward to 2017, I had my first baby. And when I was about to go back from maternity leave, there was so much resistance there. I really didn't want to go back. And that was the point that I decided, hey, I'm going to start a business and so I did at like the worst timing ever, right? Right after maternity leave with a newborn baby, I was starting this gender reveal company and emailing people from China, like vendors in the middle of the night while I was nursing my baby and working wow. nights and weekends. It was crazy. It took about a year to, you know, that was about a year, I think in total from when I launched to when we ultimately decided to call it quits. 
So I guess you, it was something that you were familiar with because you had just had a baby, you had just done your own gender reveal and the business didn't work out. Like you said, you decided to call it quits, but what was, did something go wrong? What was your reasoning for deciding that, okay, you are no longer going to do this gender reveal business and what lessons were you, did you learn from it? I'm assuming that you, like, were you, were you offering like the supplies for the reveal? Yeah. So the main product was cannons that shoot and they're very popular. You've probably seen them on people's Instagram and Facebook, right? They shoot confetti or powder. And that was the main product. And we sourced those and it took about, I guess, maybe eight months to really actually launch. And then it started getting traction. And when it did, we started getting some reports that the products were not safe. By the way, I would not recommend to anybody to use these products because it turns out they are not safe. And oh, so wow. when like there's a cannon piece that actually causes the force to shoot out the confetti and stuff, and sometimes there is a problem and it'll actually launch off of the cannon. And that's just not acceptable, right? You're dealing with pregnant women. Like that's just not okay. Um, so once we started hearing of reports of this, we just I tried to find ways to, you know, go with a different product or to see how we can make them safe. And there just was not an alternative I was comfortable with. So we decided that it made more sense and that I'd be able to sleep at night if we just called it what it was. And so many lessons learned from that. And looking back, it was doomed to fail. I was, I, first of all, didn't spend enough time up front figuring out what I wanted to do and what made the most sense or running numbers on, you know, how many of these do I need to sell to replace the income that I want, that sort of thing. And so I like, you know, going slow in white space is a quote that I've heard that I really like. If you're going to do something new, spend the time up front to really decide what makes sense before jumping in. I was also doing everything myself. I created my own website. I mean, it was just on Shopify, so it wasn't hard, but I didn't know anything about creating websites. Mm -hmm. I spent two months doing it. I could have paid somebody $200 on Fiverr to have it done in three days. (laughs) Um, You know, so it's like my time is worth a lot. You want to save your money. (laughs) I know. It's like, it's, it's that mindset that I didn't have at the time. Those types of lessons I'm so thankful to have from that for sure. I'm sure you are able to take the lessons and apply them into what you do now. So you definitely made a big pivot. You went from gender reveal products to real estate. That is night and day. Couldn't be more different, right? Obviously you had the lessons you learned from your first business. You know, I'm glad you were even made aware of the safety issues because that could have led to lawsuits and all kinds of things, right? Uh, Right. But you have all those lessons from your first business. How did you get interested in real estate investing? How did you make that transition and specifically mobile park homes? Yeah. Okay. So honestly, real estate kind of goes back to when I was in college. I was renting a townhouse when I was a senior with three other girls. The landlords were this couple. They had a daughter who went to North Carolina State University, where I went, and she'd already graduated. They bought the house when she was in school and rented it to her and her friends and then kept it and rented it to me and my friends. I knew about how much those townhouses cost. So I did the simple math on you know, a mortgage calculator of how much they were paying, which was around $800 to $900 per month. 
-hmm. and they were charging us $400 per room or $1,600 per month. And that was the first time where I really thought, okay, I wonder if I could own one of these townhouses one day. That would be pretty cool if I could make income doing that. And that kind of was always in my head. I looked into it a few other times, you know, sort of after college and never really jumped in. And then when the business, when we were going to shut that down, I realized like, hey, let's go into this. I'm very interested in it. I sort of always have been. We bought a duplex in 2018 and fixed that up some and, and put renters in there. And that was great. And then we did another sort of single family home. We renovated it. We got renters in there. And then, you know, that was all fine and dandy. We didn't really love contractor management and, you know, sort of doing the renovations and stuff. So the next thing we did was individual mobile homes. And it ended up being really cool. So we bought a couple of mobile homes from just families or individuals who needed to sell them quickly. They were moving or something, right? That's that's one of the ways you get really good deals in real estate is you find people who really need to sell. So we bought them. And then without needing to do really any work in some cases and bare minimum work in other cases, we were able to sell those mobile homes to families who were going to live in them and make them their family home. It's really hard to get financing on a pre-owned mobile home. So these families would not have been able to qualify or find financing for these homes otherwise. So what we did was sell them to the families and we became the bank, really. Just like if you buy a regular, you know, your primary residence, you go to the bank and you get a loan and you pay them every month. These families pay us every month. So we are the bank in this case. Mm. And the interest rates that we have on those notes is 18%. So it's crazy high. And we're able to get these families into homes. So it just felt really great to be doing something good with affordable housing and getting a great return. And we really were wanting to go bigger in that space. And that's really what the catalyst was for us getting into mobile home parks. So you started out with interest in the townhome that you had rented and realizing that there was an opportunity for cash flow based on the numbers that you ran, what your friend was paying in a mortgage, what they were charging you for rent. And then how did the mobile home option present itself to you? Because townhome and mobile home are two different things. Yeah, we started in that time going Where to- did you see your first mobile home or like how did that ding, ding, light bulb go off that, okay, as opposed to a, t- a townhouse, let's try a mobile home. Yeah. We were going to a ton of real estate investor meetups and meetings and just learning everything we could about the space. And there was a an investor who I really respect. His name is Bill Cook. And he mentioned to me something called a Lonnie deal, which is what we ended up doing on mobile homes. He mentioned that to me when we were still renovating a single family home and it just sort of sort of stuck in the back of my head and when we were looking for our next deal I told my husband like hey let's try this let's try to do a mobile home very cool and so how does investing in a mobile home look like I know you talked about briefly where you got loans to purchase the mobile homes and then you then sell it to other families who pay you in the form of you being a bank, quote unquote. 
But what does it look like? What is, what's the average cost of a mobile home and what type of expenses are associated with a mobile home, right? I'm assuming they're a little different from like your traditional single family or townhouse. Yeah. So actually we are now owning entire parks. So we started with the individual homes and now we own parks. And so there are a couple of different flavors of mobile home parks and one flavor, you own the land. So we own the land, we own the roads and the infrastructure, like septic systems, for example, for anybody who doesn't know what a septic system is, if you don't live close enough to city or county infrastructure, then your sewage still needs to go somewhere. And it goes into a septic system that is on your land. I have a septic system. Very familiar because we've had to replace a septic system. Uh, Yes, not cheap. Uh, Painful. Yes, that's right. And so we own the land and the septic systems and the roads and all that. And our residents own their own homes. They all own their own homes and they pay us what's called lot rent. They pay us every month in order to keep their homes that they own on the land that we own. And that's the type of mobile home park that's our top preference. Then there's another sort of way of doing it where as the owner of the park, you also own all of the homes in your park or some of the homes in your park. And in that case, it's really like a traditional rental. People pay you and they rent the home and you own the home and maintain the home and you own the land and the roads and the septics and anything else. Um, And so in our park... Our residents are paying about $200 a month to keep each of their homes on our land. And we have, let's say one of our parks, we have about 50 lots. So there's about $10,000 a month of income there coming in. And then on the expense side, we have a mortgage, you know, so we have that principal and interest. And of course we have taxes and insurance. We have a manager there. We have maintenance. So every couple of years, septic systems need to be pumped or making sure the roads are in good repair. There's plenty of gravel on them, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So those are all things that we handle. Typically, the expenses are about 50% for this type of park of the total income. And, And they range depending on the, you know, if it's septic or city sewer and all sorts of things, you know, 30 to 55%, somewhere in that range. Our park is 50% expense ratio on average. So each month, you know, we have about $10,000 coming in and about $5,000 that goes out in expenses. So it nets about $5,000. So that's as far as the expense side. So you, you, so basically you, you have the parks where you can like lease out the lots and people pay you $200 a month. Well, how many homes can be in a mobile park or on average? Oh, great question. They range all over. And you can have you can have a mobile home on a land where that person owns both the home and the land. Mm-hmm. And then you can have land where you have many multiple mobile homes on that land. And that's really where you're getting into a park. We have one park that's only eight lots. And then we have a lot of, a park that's 50 lots. There are huge parks as well that are 200 lots. So they really vary. You can find a park with just four lots, or you can find a park with two or even 300 lots. I find this so interesting. So you own parks, but then you are also 
owners of actual mobile homes. You guys have 80 of those homes. So how does financing work? I'm assuming you get the mortgage for the actual park where you're leasing out the land, but what about the financing for the actual homes that you own? So we don't actually own any homes. We own 80 Ah, lots and people pay us to rent the lots. Yes, (laughs) we own 80 lots. So people pay us to, to rent the land on those. And so I can answer financing on either one, really. Like on the parks, yeah, we have a mortgage. You can get a commercial mortgage to buy the park, just like you would a residential mortgage to buy a single family home that you might live in. There are a couple of differences in how you finance a commercial property. Um, One of those is, you know, typically 30 years is the amortization period that you have with a bank for a single family home, right? You pay them for 30 years every month. In commercial, it's usually 20 to 25 years of an amortization period. And then there's also something called a call period in commercial real estate where you know you amortize the loan as if you're going to pay for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then after five years, you and the bank come back together and revisit the terms, see if the interest rate needs to be adjusted and basically start a new loan with whatever remaining balance is on there. Like a premeditated premeditated refinancing structure, kind of. Exactly. That's right. And that's very standard in in commercial loans. You'll find that a lot. But in a lot of ways, it's very similar to just buying a regular house. One of the benefits of commercial real estate is the assets stand for themselves when you're going to go buy it. So let's say you wanted to buy a single family rental house. You would need to prove to the bank that you have enough income to cover your existing loans, right? If you have a primary residence or a car or something that you have loans on, and your income also needs to cover the new mortgage for the rental property. In commercial lending, it's a little bit different because they allow the assets to stand for themselves. They know the the reason you buy these assets is that they produce income. And if you can show that the asset will produce income, it can stand on its own. You don't have to then have your W-2 income that's high enough for your expenses and the parked expenses, for instance. Great insight to commercial lending. So I'm assuming that when you go to apply for a commercial loan, they look at the asset, like you said, as a standalone and say, what how much income is this property capable of being bringing in to be able to help this buyer cover the costs associated to them? And they don't necessarily look at your pay stubs as the backing to cover the mortgage, right? So it depends on the size of the asset. They also will look at you as a person, especially if it's your first. They will want to know you have income to cover your own expenses and stuff like that. But you don't also have the have to have the income to cover the mortgage of the asset you're buying. Unlike we know the asset is going to be bringing an income exactly because it's a commercial property. That's this is such great information. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. different. Another thing that's really cool about mobile home parks and and commercial real estate in general is you have the opportunity in some cases to have the person who owns the park now sell it to you and finance it. So you can pay payments to them instead of making payments to a bank. And that's especially true with some of the smaller parks. A lot of, you know, if it's an eight or 10 lot park, a lot of times commercial lenders, they don't want to go down to a, a mortgage payment that low. So you may be able to just work with the seller and say, hey, I'll, you know, I'll pay you 10, 20% down 
and then pay you over time. And you just work with that person and decide the monthly payments. You can also partner with people. Um, if you if you have the money, maybe, but no time, because you're so busy with your job, then maybe you have somebody who wants to manage it for you or vice versa. If you have some time and you want a side hustle and you can go out and, and manage the park and spend a couple hours a month making sure everybody's paying and stuff like that, you can find people who have the money at local you know, real estate investor associations and things like that. Maybe they're further along in their investing careers. They have money, but they don't want to go out and spend the time any longer. So you can partner together and split the profits. So Amanda, just to be, to, to be clear, you have three mobile home parks and combined, they make up 80 mobile home lots. That's exactly right, Bola. Yep. So how do you manage these three parks or these 80 lots tied to 80 different families? <laughs> how yeah. do you do that management of just human relations, collecting your money, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera? <laughs> Such a good question, right? It seems exhausting. <laughs> so, so we have a manager who manages two of the parks for us okay. in our business. I do underwriting, the analysis side, and I do investor relations. My husband does asset management. So he manages the manager of two of our parks. Uh, We have about 75 lots that are within a couple miles of each other. So that manager is the one who makes sure rents are collected. And if there are any maintenance issues with a leak or anything like that, he handles all of that and then reports into my husband who can give him guidance and stuff like that. So having that person on the ground. Then we have a smaller park. It's eight lots and we're 50-50 partners with a another investor. In that case, that she had individual rental experience. She had a couple of rental homes and had never done mobile home parks we you know, obviously have done mobile home parks previously. She wanted to do the work. That park needed new homes brought into lots that were empty and all sorts of stuff. So she did the work and we provided guidance and we partnered in that way. So in that park, our investor partner does the boots on the ground, making sure rent's collected and that sort of thing. That's very cool. So for the parks where you have a property manager or someone that you pay that your husband manages, the cost of their payment comes out of that 50% of expenses that you mentioned. From, yep, that's from exactly right. Lots. Okay. And on average, how much do you pay that person? Is it a percentage of the rents? Is it a fixed amount every month? Yeah. On the smaller parks, they might get, a manager might get the lot rent for free, for instance, if they live in the house in the park, if they have their own house in the park, maybe they get free lot rent and they're just, you know, not taking a lot of time, just making sure rent's collected, but it doesn't take them that many hours a month or anything like that. And then on our park where we have one manager who's now over 75 lots, we pay him about $800 a month. Okay. So about four lots, the equivalent of four lots. Yeah. And it sort of scales as you get, I mean, it obviously with so many things with scale, you get more efficiency. We wouldn't necessarily need to pay him, you know, another one month lot rent just to do another 20 houses. It becomes easier as it scales, uh, just like, you know, sort of with anything else. But that's yeah. a, a decent rule of thumb there. 
So one of the one of the biggest I think hindrances of people who are who are interested in real estate but don't want to deal with all the trouble is the management, right? Yes. And that's where hiring a property manager can be helpful at cost, but there are different ways to get creative, like you paying them an exchange where they live in the apartment complex or in the mobile park and then they collect the rent for you in exchange for being able to stay there for free. And then you could also pay them a salary, a fixed salary. I know property manager arrangements where they take an actual percentage of every rent collected. So that is one way to get over that hindrance of, oh my God, real estate is so much trouble because I have to deal with all these 80 people. But if you're able to come up with a good plan with a property manager and find a good property manager, it can help to minimize the stress because that person can take on, take on the burden of dealing with all of the people, all of the properties, <laughs> all of it. That's so true. And Just honestly, them. yeah, that's such a good point. There are so many options. A lot of times people would think of, oh, a single family home, I have to get a tenant in place and everything like that. And then I have to deal with a toilet leaking or some sort of issue. You know, in some of these smaller mobile home parks, let's say there are eight lots. If you don't own any of the homes, you're just collecting the rent. There isn't really much to do. You don't own the home, so you don't own the plumbing. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things that we really like about the parks, honestly, is we didn't love the contractor side of having to improve things and renovate and stuff like that. So when people move out of our park, we don't have to go and renovate and paint. You know, they sell it. They sell their home to somebody else who, who, Want, if they want to paint, then they can paint themselves, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you make about $10,000 in revenue from your current investments, and then your expenses are about half of them. And then you have the other half. I'm sure you, you know, obviously you pay your taxes. What else, you know, in terms of your financial goals, your, your long-term financial wellness, what are you doing with the money? <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to be using that money to live on pretty soon. I'm finally at the point where I'm able to quit my W-2 job. So I'll have that for just a few more weeks. And then we'll really be living on this income and continuing to grow in, in this space and acquiring, you know, more parks and more assets. It's amazing the amount of wealth building that real estate provides Yes. It is super powerful. So many millionaires own real estate, right? And there's a, there's definitely a reason for that. So we definitely plan to continue growing there, in this space. There definitely is a reason. And when you become my, this is my personal opinion, you know, when you get into real estate investing, I think you also have to think about economies of scale. I think when you think about building wealth in real estate as an investor, so not just saying, oh, I'm going to buy my home and hope it appreciates and gains equity. I'm talking about investing for cash flow every month. Let's put appreciation aside. We want to get money every month, profits every month, right? Right. I think that it's not enough to have the one, right? Because, or the two, because if that one or two are empty, then you don't make any money that month. But if you have 10 or 20 or a hundred, right? They help to swallow the costs of the, the cash flow you get from all your properties combined, help to swallow the costs of the ones that are empty, the ones that are becoming that need repairs that you have to put money into when you have that economy of scale in place, right? You're able to maximize your profits and also manage the expenses better, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, that makes you you're gonna more cash flow coming in. So I, I love that. I love that you guys have the three parks, you have the 80 lots, you're looking for more parks, and you have only been doing this since 2018. 
Yeah, we bought our first park at the beginning of 2020. We started in real estate three and a half years ago, and we bought our first mobile home park not quite two years ago. So really in less than two years, about 18 months, you guys have established this real estate investing arm of your (laughs) financial financial portfolio and it is cash flow positive. And that's amazing, right? I think in real estate, one of the biggest things outside of maintaining your properties is just pursuing, in fact, the biggest thing is pursuing that positive cash flow, right? Especially in yes. investment real estate, you want the money ahead of time. Like appreciation is your guarantee. <laughs> right. That's right. You want your money, you want the cash flow. You can then take that money depending on your plans and reinvest it elsewhere, the cash flow you're making, reinvest it into other properties. That's yeah, that that is exactly right. And making sure that a lot of times people just get into single family houses and they want to buy a house that they would want to live in. And that a lot of times is not the best investment property. So you sort of have to change your mindset a little bit in order to find a property that has cash flow, which is really, really more important than the projected you know, appreciation of the property. Yes. You have to remove some emotion from it because people are like, oh, right. but I, you know, I don't like the neighborhood or it's too far right. from here, but you're not, you don't have to make that commute. <laughs> it's not your That's problem. right. Your expect, yeah. Your expectations are not the same. That's you don't right. Like the, the, the yard is too small, but you are not living there. This is an investment. Someone who is going to see that house and look at that commute and say, this is right for me is going to be the one to rent it, not you. And if yep. that's where the cash flow positivity is, then that's where you want to buy. A lot of times people are like, oh, I really like the house on the corner. And then, you know, but there's, it, you get so caught up in how the house looks that you forget to think about, is this going to make me money? So you really, especially for new investors, yes. you really have to be objective, remove the emotion. <laughs> Don't plan your life yeah. in the house you're not going to live in. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It may not be the cutest house you've ever seen. You may not be excited to move in tomorrow, but you're not the one moving in. So that's okay. And I'm, I've never thought about, this is so interesting to me because I've never thought about mobile home lots or parks at all. Like I've, I've heard about it, but it's never like crossed my mind to like say, Oh, let me think about this as an investment. So this yeah. is so interesting. So when you rent out these lots on, do, do your tenants, let me call them that, do they stay long-term or are they constantly moving around? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the best parts about mobile home parks where you are owning the land and people own the own their own home. So the residents own their own home. So they stay for a long time. It's also expensive to move a home that you own. It's like five to $10,000 all in to move a mobile really? home from one park to another. Yes. You don't just it's so expensive. Your, pick, your pickup truck and drive no, it somewhere. No, no, no. Not it's a camper. big deal. <laughs> no, it's a big deal. And so if you think of this is affordable housing, these residents do not have five to $10,000 to go moving a home from one place to another. So they tend to stay in the parks. And what happens if they want to move is they sell their home to somebody else. Mm-hmm. But as the owner of the land, we keep getting that income. Yes. That is, I love that. That's a value. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, you own the land, you rent out the land to people who need it. And if they are no longer interested, they either move or they sell and you get a new tenant. That is, that's so, so interesting. So for someone who's thinking about investing in real estate or they just got an aha moment about mobile home lots, 
what three pieces of advice based on your own experience would you give to someone who is really curious about this aspect of real estate investing and wants to get started? Okay. The first thing I would say is be clear on your goal. What is it that you are thinking you want out of real estate investing? Do you just want that one house and maybe a couple hundred dollars a month net in in cash flow, but pretty hands off? Are you looking for a side hustle and a bit more income? Are you looking to one day replace the income that you have from a job to be your own boss and have your own schedule and make thousands of dollars per month from it? There are so many ways you can go, but make sure you know what your ultimate goal is. Once you know your goal, again, going slow in the white space would be the second thing. Mm -hmm. Easy to just say, hey, I, I understand the idea of owning a rental property. You own a house. Maybe I own my primary residence. Maybe I don't, but probably most listeners know somebody who owns a house. So it seems comfortable to you know buy a rental house. But there are so many ways to invest in real estate, right? You can buy a duplex. You can buy a small apartment building. You can buy a small mobile home park. There are many, many ways. Farmland. You can buy farmland. Oh my gosh, there's so many ways. That's everything. Yeah. And so really just taking some time. I would time box it because you can spend the rest of your life learning everything about real estate and never actually investing in real estate. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) But but do spend some time exploring different avenues versus just the standard rental property. And once you find something that calls to you, learn about that specific thing and give yourself a timeline with goals and, and, you know, jump in. There's uh, at some point analysis paralysis becomes a thing and we can move past our fear and, and jump in and try it. The third thing I would really say is evaluate the skills you bring to the table. Are you a number cruncher? Are you an analyst? That's awesome if you are. A lot of people don't want anything to do with that. That's great. But if you're going to get into real estate, you need to make sure you're making money. So do you have a partner, a spouse, a friend who you can bring in to fill in that analysis piece, if that's what you need, or is it money that you need? You may, hey, I want to go out and hustle and spend some time every month, but I don't have the money. That's great. Go to places where you can meet people that have that, like real estate investor associations. They have them in basically every state all over the place. They're typically very inexpensive or free to join or real estate meetups and meet other people who are doing it and really find the skills that you have and the skills that you need a partner or somebody else to bring that you can mesh together. Awesome. Those are really, really great tips. A lot to think about. I definitely can be a victim of analysis paralysis. <laughs> I'll get all the information. I'll keep looking for more information and I will make any decisions. So that's really important. Also knowing what your strong skill sets are and where you're going to need help and where you're going to need guidance. Like, you know, for you guys, you got the the property manager, right? You, you figured out, okay, we're not going to do this. We don't right. want to do this. Let's hire someone. And you factored the cost into your expenses. Um, you're not a number cruncher. Sit with an accountant. Sit with someone who, you know, has real experience with real estate and have them help you understand how your costs break down. This is really great. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your experience with mobile home lots. And, you know, it's, only been 18 months. This can only go up from here. So this is very (laughs) exciting. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, though, you have to share what is your Clever Girl superpower? I think my superpower is wanting to learn. I love learning new things. As you can tell, it's how we got into real estate, mobile home parks, and all sorts of different things. And just reading books, how can I do things more efficiently? What are things that challenge my way of thinking? I love to just absorb new information and continue evolving and and growing as a person. That's awesome. And we just touched the tip of the iceberg with this discussion on mobile home lots and parks. So for anyone who wants to learn more, who wants to follow your journey, who wants to get more involved in investing in mobile home lots and learn from you, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can check out my website. I have a video on the three reasons mobile home parks make better investments than single family homes. That's at voyageinvesting.com slash free. I also post a ton of information on building wealth, real estate investing, and mobile home park investing on Instagram. So follow me at Investing with Amanda. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include those links in the show notes so folks can find you easily. Thank you so much for being here, Amanda. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Bola. Have a good one. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.